5, we welcome you. We also tell you don't just watch it, share it uh, from our page to yours because, again, we know lots of people here have been gone the last two or three weeks, and that includes this weekend and probably next weekend because I'm going to kind of allude to it in just a minute. Believe it or not, school is right around the corner, and it's about ready to start whether you like it or not. So, again, enjoy the time off. Enjoy the time away. We're just excited that you're joining us on Facebook Live. Uh, let me also highlight a couple of things. Uh, one of the things that I want to highlight is next weekend, we do something here at Crossroads called Scoopalicious, and it's really our own take on National Ice Cream Day. We do it every year on National Ice Cream Day if we can, and, and it's where all the people from Crossroads get together, take off the gloves, and they fight each other to see who can make the best homemade ice cream. So it's good. Uh, if you're lactose intolerant, you probably want to be careful. You know, that, that might not be your jam. But anyway, we want you to make ice cream, and we want you to participate next week. So it's next week, 530 to 7 at the Jimmy Floyd Center. You're going to see stuff on Facebook about it this week. More details for you. Uh, if you can't make ice cream, you can bring cookies or you can bake a cake. I'm going to tell you, I, I, I like Sam's and I like Walmart. And well, let me tell you, Publix is really the jam. Am I right? Publix's bakery is like on point. But if you're going to bring something, make it homemade, okay? If you can. So anyway, and again, if you can't make ice cream, but it's Jimmy Floyd Center. Invite somebody. Be there next Sunday afternoon. 5.30 to 7. And again, if it rains, we have the inside pool and the outside pool. We'll go inside if it gets bad, as long as it's not thundering and lightning, because thundering and lightning wiped us out last year. So again, we're looking forward to having you. You know, I got to tell you this morning as we get started, uh, and again, I know we have some people visiting, and again, I, they, they, this may be their first and last time, but hopefully not. So anyway, I, I, I have to tell you that social media to me is really interesting. Now, I, again, I love the, 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 the two dynamics of our services. The eighth crowd, they're, they're a little more archaic. You know, they're, they're not so much into technology, where you guys in this one, typically, you're a little more hip. You know, what, what was it that, uh, that hip to be square, you know, Huey Lewis said. So you kind of know about all those things, you know, on social media. And, and I'm a social media person. I love it. But I've kind of backed off of everything because of the negativities. Anybody know what I'm talking about? People are so negative. And I've gravitated to Instagram. And I know you guys know what Instagram is, but some of you may not know what Instagram is. So I went yesterday and looked up a definition uh, so that people who don't know what Instagram is, because, uh, again, some of you may not, but I wanted you to have a working definition so that you could understand. Here's what I found online. Instagram is a free photo and video sharing app available on iPhone and Android. Now, let me say, at Crossroads, we always pray for Android people. People can upload photos or videos to our service and share them with their followers or with a select group of friends. They can also view, comment, and like posts that are shared by their friends on Instagram. Anyone who is 13 and older can create an account by registering their email address and selecting a username. And again, if you want to know what mine is on Instagram... It's Randy S. Cook, and you can follow me. I'd love to have you follow me, but let me just warn you. I'm not going to do devotions, and I'm not going to post up Scripture, and I'm not going to be all spiritual. I'm just going to have fun with it, okay? I do that kind of stuff here and in other venues. 
I have fun on Instagram. So you'll read there under my username. It says, if you can't laugh a little, you probably ought to just move along. So that, that, that's again. So anyway, that, that's my Instagram. Now, here's the thing. Hang with me because I, I love seeing what you guys post. I love the pictures of your babies and your grandbabies and your, and, and your boyfriends and your girlfriends and your husbands. and all. I love all that. But can I tell you what I really love? Instagram, animal pictures, monkey pictures, cat pictures, dog pictures. That's what I love. I love the stories. I love the reels. I love the pictures of animals. I love the, the stuff that's real, the things in Africa, you know, people on a safari, they show a line, you know, pouncing on, a, on one of them things that goes across the river. You know, I love those. I love those. I love animals, and I love the funny animal stuff. But here's what's really interesting to me. Instagram knows that I like that. And Instagram has started sending me stuff that I really initially wasn't interested in. Because they know I like cats and dogs and animals in Africa and monkeys. I love the monkeys. Just love them. I mean, just, get, just follow a couple of those monkey pages. They're hilarious. But, 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 but uh, Instagram recognized in my love of all things animals that they thought I needed to see things about bees. Honeybees. I'm, t- I'm talking about the, the bees that pollinate your flowers and your crops and all of that kind of stuff. And, and it got me so interested in bees and all the things that bees do. But what it really interested me is this. Bees work together. They don't work apart. They work together. So, so I went and looked for some t- statistics about bees, and I'm going to share those. Here, here's, what, here's some of the things that you need to know about bees. And, and, and let me tell you, if you're visiting with us, this is a church service. I'll get to it in a minute, okay? Just, just hang with me, and you'll understand it. It'll make sense. <laughs> the U.S. Department of Agriculture estimates that honeybees pollinate 80% of the country's crops, meaning that those little honeybees pollinate 20 to $25 billion worth of crops each and every year. Now, listen to these stats because these are very indicative of some things you're going to like. For starters, all the worker bees in the colony are females. And the lady said, well, of course, you know what I'm saying? Of course they are. The male honeybees have no stinger at all. And they do no work at all. And the lady said, yeah, we kind of knew that. Go figure. All the male bees do is mate. And all the men in the room said, sign me up. You know what I'm saying? In fact, before the winter, when when the food is getting scarce, female honeybees usually force out the surviving males so that they're out of the hive. That makes sense. It's interesting. Each one of the female worker bees is born capable of performing every task in the hive, everything that needs to be done, so that that hive or that colony will survive, and not only survive, the colony will thrive. Here's a little detail when it comes to feeding. Once an egg hatches into a larva, it is a ferocious eater. During the eight days before the cell containing a larva is capped, that will be fed 10,000 times. 
when it comes to cleaning the cell, those little, those little places that they, you know, they deposit the eggs in, when an egg is laid in a cell and eventually the adult bee comes out of the cell and emerges from the cell, it leaves behind in that cell the cocoon as well as the bodily wastes. These have to be cleaned out before the queen will deposit another egg into that cell. Now listen to this. When you talk about attending to the queen, that's one of the things I've seen a lot on Instagram. They, they highlight the queen and show you the activity of the queen. L listen to this. The queen does not feed herself or groom herself. I would feel right at home there. You know what I'm saying? She does not feed herself or groom herself. She has attendants to do that. Attendant bees groom and feed the queen. Now listen to, the fact, listen to this fact about ventilating. Bees use their wings to circulate air, fresh air, in and around the hive or the colony so that they can control the temperature throughout the hive. Now, when you talk about guarding the hive, there are worker bees that guard the hive, that act as guards. When it comes to collecting food, if necessary, Bees will fly as far away as eight miles to be able to collect nectar and pollen. A hive of bees will fly, listen, listen to this, 90,000 miles, the equivalent of three times orbits around the earth so that they can collect one kilogram of honey. Now you say, okay, why, why, why is he talking about this? Because I want you to understand, when it comes to the life of a bee, there's no such characteristic as ego. There's no characteristic in the life of a bee that's known as ego, what you and I know as ego. Ego is not a part of the life of a honeybee. When it comes to being a honeybee, their life is to protect the colony. And bees will sacrifice their own life without hesitation. If at any time they feel that their life or the colony is in jeopardy. Anytime they perceive a threat to the colony, they are willing to give up their life to protect that, that, that hive, that colony of other bees. This morning, I want to introduce you to somebody, a guy whose name is John Chrysostom. And, and let me say for those who are visiting with us today so that you understand, we lost a major computer that powered all of this stuff behind us. And because of all the supply chain issues, we have not had words on the screen for like six weeks. And today, we weren't sure we were going to get it going. This is a patch. This is not the fix, but this is a patch to get us a few more weeks until our computer's coming in August. So normally, understand, I would have points and scriptures up on the screen. You're not going to see that because we weren't sure this was going to work until the last minute. So I didn't prepare it. If you have a worship guide, you'll see the, 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 the scripture in the worship guide. It's also available on our Facebook page. You'll see it there. But let me introduce you to a guy by the name of John Chrysostom. He was an archbishop of the early church, a very early, important father of the early church. And he was actually known for his preaching and his public speaking. He lived from 349 to 407 A.D. 
And again, here's the thing I want you to understand. From his life, we get many, many quotes that are usable. But there's one quote to me this morning that stands out. And it's going to sound odd to you. But I just want you to roll with me. Just track with me. Here's what he said. He said, the bee is more honored than other animals. Not because she labors but because she labors for others. She's more valuable than all the other animals, not because she labors, but because her labor is for others. You see, here's the reality of where we are in the church these days. I've already alluded to it. Lots of people are gone right now. It's summer. They're enjoying their time. And again, you know, don't, I'm not going to hate on you if you go on your vacation. I get that. I understand. Lots of people have gone on vacation last, the week before last, last week and this week. They're going to make the best of the weekends right now while they can. But here's the thing about the church right now, and I talked to another pastor this week, and he told me the very same thing. A lot of people have just decided, you know what, I'm not coming back to the church after COVID because here's the thing, I now realize that I don't have to get up on Sunday, I don't have to dress up, I don't have to go, that's my day and it's my time. So they've just never returned to the church. And we've cut services, and we've cut seats. But here's the thing I want you to hear me say from my lips to your ears. God ain't told me to quit. And we're not going to quit. If we have to storm hell with a water pistol, that's what we'll do. But people have made a decision that they're not coming back to church. I had somebody tell me, I have discovered that Sunday is my day, and I'm going to spend it the way that I want to. And, I, I, you know, what do you say? It's the busiest vacation time of the year. And before you know it, summer's going to be over. School will be back in session. And the fall arrives and Labor Day comes and people start thinking, you know what, i got to get back into a routine. And anytime somebody starts thinking about a routine and getting my life in order, you know, you know what really comes, you know, it kind of comes to the surface. I'm not saying it makes it all the way to the surface, but with a lot of people it does. They start thinking about the spiritual aspects of life. You know, I need, to, I need to start thinking about the important things. I need to focus on the important things. And see, here's the thing. When you think about the things that I've just said about the church, people not here, people not coming. When you start thinking about the way and the condition of the church as it is today, there's a natural temptation in all, listen, there's a natural temptation in all of us to make Christianity about me. There's a temptation in you to, ma to make church and Christianity about yourself. Believe it or not, there's a real tendency among a lot of us to make church about our wants and our needs and our desires. And we forget that our mission, that our labor, that our work is not for us. It's for others. It's for those outside these walls. It's so easy for us to forget that we're not here for us, but we're here for other people. We're here for those outside the walls. We're here for them. 
And let me tell you this morning, when we forget that, that's when things tend to kind of go sideways. They tend to go off the rails. So I'm going to say something this morning that I know I've said before, and I'll say it again. And let me just say, if you haven't heard this from me, you probably heard this from somebody else. This is not new. It's not, you know, it's, I didn't just come up with this last night in a dream from the Lord. It didn't happen that way. It's something that I heard somebody say, and I was like, man, that's just so true. But, but here's, what, here's what I want to tell you. The church is not a hotel for saints, but it's a hospital for sinners. That's what the church is. But can I just say that, that, this, that if that's something that we forget, and it happens all the time, the church is just going to go off the rails. I mean, you see it happening all the time. Churches shift their focus. We forget that our mission is to reach people who don't yet have a relationship with God. And when that shift happens, we may not see it initially, but the church becomes all about us. This is the kind of music I like. These are the kind of songs that I want to sing. I want a pastor who, who preaches to me and talks to me the way that I want to hear him speak to me. I want him to go through the Bible one book at a time, every book verse by verse. That's what I want because I want him to talk about something that really meets my need and feeds me and helps me. Can I just say something? It's going to surprise some of you. Grab your seats. Reach down there. Hunker down. Because I'm going to tell you something that most pastors would be afraid to say. It's not my responsibility to feed you. Feeding you is not my responsibility. Feeding you spiritually is not my responsibility. And I know, I know some of you are like, woo, you're like one of them cats I saw on, on Instagram. <laughs> it surprises you that somebody would say that. But see, that's what you're supposed to do on your own time. You're supposed to dive into God's Word on your own. You're supposed to rightly divide the Word of truth on your own, in your own quiet time. That's what you're supposed to do. And let me just say, if you make the decision to leave this church or any church, and you say to other people that you weren't getting fed then let me just tell you this. Don't lay that on the pastor. Don't lay that on the church, my friend. Listen, listen. Because it's not their fault. It's your fault. And, and here's the thing I know, that people who use an excuse like that, because I've done it, I've done it. When people use an excuse like, well, I, I, you know, I, I can't go there anymore because I wasn't getting fed, you know what they're trying to do? They're trying to spiritualize that issue. Something else happened, and they're trying to make it sound more spiritual than it really is. Like, you know, I, I, I was getting McDonald's, and I really wanted filet mignon. What really happened is 
they didn't get their way or something didn't go their way. And so they want to sound a little more spiritual. So they say, well, the pastor and the church wasn't feeding me. I just wasn't getting fed. And see, the thing is, we forget and we make the church about us. I think people, when they go to church, they, they should wear this kind of clothes. I think when they go to church, they should dress this way. I don't want anybody with a tattoo or an earring sitting next to me. Because I think people with, with nice clothes on should attend the church that I go to because that's their way of respecting God and showing God that they love Him. They do it in the way that they dress. See, this morning, some of you are not going to believe this. But we had this happen a couple of weeks ago. I could tell there was a couple coming in, shook their hand, welcomed them. You know, they came in, uh, and they didn't say it to me, but they said it to somebody else. They said, hey, you know, I'm so-and-so. How you doing? And they said, we're blah, 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 blah. We're from blah, 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 blah. And, and we're, we're just church shopping. And, and I understand that was probably meant innocently. We're just church shopping. But here's the, way, here's the way we've gotten as Christians. We think it's our responsibility to go to church, to church, to church, and give them a thumbs up or a thumbs down. You think it's your responsibility to give them a thumbs up, they're doing good, or they're not doing good at all. And you do that, listen, you do that based on your desire and your wants and your needs and so on and so on and so on. Let me, let me tell you something that actually happened. This actually happened. I met with somebody who told me, said, yeah, you know, we, we visited Crossroads and we came in and we looked up on the stage and the pastor had on boots and rolled up his jeans and we're like, who does he think he is? They're talking about me. Do you see the shoes I'm wearing right now? <laughs> Do you think I care? What, I mean, I don't care if you like what I'm wearing or not. I'm not here for you to worship me. You're here to worship Jesus. I'm going to wear what I want. Don't you know that? I don't care if I look like Fonzie. It doesn't matter. Let me just give you a little information this morning. The thing that made the early church, Steve, Steve, don't, don't, don't crucify me on Facebook, okay? There you go. A good friend in here is, is in here visiting, and I told him, I was like, hey. But anyway, don't, I mean, it's, it's just the way it is. The thing that made the early church happen was God. God moved powerfully, powerfully through ordinary people. That's the thing that made the early church happen. Not because they labored, not because they worked, but because the early church worked for others. See, the early church was, was, was full of ordinary people, not extraordinary people. The early church was full of ordinary people, not educated people, not rich people, just ordinary people. And the early church started, and God sent his spirit on those people with so much power 
that there simply were no words to describe the power in which God sent his spirit to those ordinary people. As a matter of fact, the writer of the book of Acts had to look for words to describe the power that took place in the early church. And the writer of Acts says it was like tongues of fire fell on those ordinary people. It wasn't fire, but it was like tongues of fire. Because fire has so much power. So much so. That what broke out in that little community wasn't great knowledge, wasn't great power, it wasn't any human attribute, but what broke out in that little community was just love. That's what it was. Listen to the words of Jesus that are found in John 13. A new command I give you. Love one another. As I have loved you, so you must love one another. Can we, can we use some love today? As I have loved you, so you, church, must love one another. By this, everyone will know. That you are my disciples if you love one another. You know, if I, if I look on social media, you know what I would say about social media right now? I don't see many people who are actually followers of Jesus on social media right now because I don't see much love there. Anybody know what I'm talking about? There's no love there. People are just so mean-spirited towards each other. Jesus said, look, you don't have to be the smartest, you don't have to be the richest, you don't have to be the most strategic people on earth, but the thing that you do have to be crossroads, you just have to be the most loving people. That's what you have to be. In a roundabout way, Jesus says, I'm about to be out of here. I'm going to go sit at the right hand of the Father. I'm not going to be here anymore. But when I leave here, I'm going to bet the farm on this. That people are going to know that you're my disciple. They're going to know that you're my follower. By the way that you love. By the way that you care about other people. They're going to look at you crossroads and they're going to say, this is the most loving, caring, generous, gracious, warmest group of human beings I've ever seen. And because they're so loving, I got to be a part of that. That's our calling. And let me just say to you, Crossroads, whether you're here in the auditorium or watching us online, we can make that difference. We can make that difference. We can make the same difference. But if our Christian journey is all about our wants and our disease, our, our desires and, and, and our wants and our, our needs, if you make your entire Christian journey about what the church should do for you or for me or what God should do for me, 
then I'm just going to tell you this morning, you're going to miss out. So I think July is one of the most important times of the year. Because here's the thing, in just a few weeks, you have an opportunity to impact the lives of many people who are going to be looking at their life and saying, you know what, I've got to make a change. I've got to try to invest myself. I've got to find a place where I can put down roots and plant myself. So here's the thing I want you to do. I'm I'm challenging you to do this. Whether you attend here another time or whether you go to another church next week, whatever, I'm I'm still going to challenge you to to do this. During the coming weeks, spend some time with God. And look at who God has placed in your life that you can invite to come to church with you, whether that's Crossroads or somewhere else. Who has God placed around you that you can actually invite that person to come to church with you? I mean, even as early as next weekend or the fall, next, next weekend is a great time to invite somebody to come to the 8.30 or the 10 o'clock service and then join you that afternoon for free ice cream and swimming. It's not going to cost them anything. And if they don't like us, they don't have to come back. But who has God placed in your life that you can invite to come with you? Here's what I'm asking you to do. Use your influence, your relational influence, and go to that person and tell them what God has done in your life and then invite them to come with you to Crossroads. There was a message that I heard recently that really got me to thinking. And here's the thing. Listen, right? Look right here. I was thinking about who have I really ever invited to Crossroads? Because you know what? I don't really invite that many people. to. I, I inform people about Crossroads. I, I tell people about this and about that, and you, you, know, you should come check it out. It's kind of like those people, you know, you have those casual conversations with people that you know are in your circle of influence where you say, you know, hey, we, we need to get together sometime and go out and eat. We need to get together. Some of you guys say to you know, another guy, hey, we need to get together sometime and play golf. We should get our kids together, let our kids play together sometime. And you really want to do it. You really want to go out to eat. You really want to play golf. You really want to get your kids together. But you know when you say it, listen, 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 you know it's not going to happen. Because you're just declaring, these are my intentions. You're just kind of informing them. You're not really inviting them. I'm simply asking you to pray and just say, God, is there somebody in my life? Is there somebody, God, in my life, a coworker, a friend, a neighbor, a family member, that I should just go to them and say, hey, will you come to me with me to a service at Crossroads next week? Or will you come with me to Crossroads in the fall when things kind of settle down? Is there somebody in your circle of influence that God has placed there that you can go to them and say, hey, I want you to come to Crossroads with me. Invite them. Because listen to me this morning. The invitation that you make to that person, the conversation that you have with that person about what God has done in your life, could actually change their life. So let me ask you the same thing, but let me ask it in a little bit different way. Who is there in your life that needs you 
to believe in them. See, did you hear what I said? Who has God placed in your life that needs you personally to believe in them? Because let, let me tell you this morning something you may not know. That's part of your calling as a follower of Jesus. You're supposed to believe in other people the way that Jesus believes in you. That's part of your calling. See, in, in Acts chapter 9, we find a man by the name of Saul. Let me just say this right up front so you kind of understand this. Saul is the same guy who would become Paul. You're going to hear me use this interchangeably. But in Acts chapter 9, we find a man by the name of Saul who's been terrorizing the followers of Jesus. He's been harassing the followers of Jesus like nobody's business. Look at Acts chapter 9, verse 1. It said, Meanwhile, Saul was still breathing out murderous threats against the Lord's disciples. And then, and then something happens. Listen, and then something happens. Saul meets Jesus. Did you hear me? Saul has an encounter with Jesus. And if you know the story of Saul's conversion, it's a traumatic story. It's very, it's very dramatic. Saul repents for all the things that he, that he has done in his life, murdered actually followers of Jesus, persecuted them, but Saul repents and in that moment believes in Jesus. He believes. But then, even after Saul believes, there's a problem. Because when Saul comes to Jerusalem and he wants to go to Jerusalem and he wants to join the church, but because of all the bad things he's done, everybody in Jerusalem is afraid of Saul. I mean, they're afraid of him. They're like, there's Saul or Paul, whichever way you want to call him. There's Paul. Obviously. We got a guy who's 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 getting everybody and, and doing things. So how'd your kid, how'd your wife, how'd your husband get, you know, I mean everybody, he's just snatching everybody up. Don't don't mess with him. They don't trust that Saul or Paul has actually had this conversion. They see Paul and they don't really understand or believe that he's changed. They don't believe that he is really a disciple of Jesus because he has murdered one of their friends named Stephen. And he has threatened, persecuted, and imprisoned and killed many of the people's husbands, wives, brothers, and sisters. So how could they know that Paul, Saul, is not making up this whole conversion story? Because nobody's going to touch him with a 10-foot pole because they're scared of him. None of those people were about to be that dumb to trust Paul. So you know what they do? Listen to what the early church does. They're like, what about Barnabas? Because Barnabas likes everybody. So let's send Barnabas to check out Paul. And that's what happens. I mean, do you know anybody like Barnabas that just likes everybody? They just like everybody? Or maybe let me ask you the question, are you like Barnabas? Do you, just, do, do you never meet a stranger? Are you like Barnabas? Let me, let me tell you about those people who are like Barnabas. Because a person who is like Barnabas is willing to give away a, an incredible gift. An incredible gift. Because people who are like Barnabas 
You know what they believe? Listen, listen, I want you to hear this. They believe that anybody can change with God's help. Doesn't matter what they've done. People who are like Barnabas believe that people can change. Let me, let me put it another way. Let me put it this way. One of the greatest gifts that you can give another human being is believing in them that regardless of their past, that with God's help, they can change. See, listen, a Barnabas, that kind of person, those are the people who don't let you, who you were yesterday, limit who you might be today or tomorrow. That's a Barnabas person. And it's a fabulous gift. And Barnabas is willing to take on the risk of Saul, who would become Paul. And he becomes a friend, and he gets to know Paul. He has an inclination to believe the best in Paul's life, to see the best in Paul's life. And you know what Barnabas does? Barnabas looks into the life of Paul, and he calls out the best. So Barnabas goes to the other people and says, yo, dudes, this Saul, this Paul, see Saul, Saul, Paul, he's really changed. Look at the change in his life. Look at what has happened between him and God. And because Barnabas went out on a limb in Acts 9, 28, here's what it says. It says, Saul stayed with them and moved about freely in Jerusalem, speaking boldly in the name of the Lord. Saul, Paul, would be the greatest missionary to the Gentiles. The greatest missionary to the rest of the world. Paul is the guy who wrote half of the New Testament. Paul is the guy who would change the world, and it happened because of Barnabas. That's love. That's the kind of love that allows you to see things in others that nobody else can see. It allows you to see things in their life that even those people can't see. So let me ask you this morning. Look right here at me. Who do you need to give the gift that we talked about last week? Who's in your life that you need to give that incredible gift of allowing God to remake them, to recreate them, to repair them, to redo them? Who's in your life that needs God to do something in their life? The question is, will you invite them to come with you next week or this fall? Let me just say that. Before that, you think of that person, let's slow down for a minute. You see, we want you to invite those people because we want them to here to celebrate that Jesus is alive. But before you leave here and do that, I want to give you something else to think about. I want to give you something else, a little bit of information, a little statistic that I didn't tell you about the bees. 
Here's one last fact about bees that I can give you a few minutes ago. And I think it's really interesting. Do you know that the bee will literally give its life to save the hive? It will literally give its life to save the hive. See, during the busiest time of year when plants are freely yielding nectar and pollen, when the hive is frantically trying to store up food against the winter that's coming, those worker bees in that colony, in that hive, let me tell you, listen to me, they only live for about five weeks. So quite literally, those worker bees, they work themselves to death. And they work themselves to death so that they ensure that the colony or the hive is going to survive. Quite often, the last, listen, listen, the last contribution an older worker bee will make is going to be for the well-being of the colony because she will remove herself from the hive before she dies. I mean, kind of picture it. A female worker bee flying away as much as she can, you know, kind of that scraping, the, you know, just as much as her wings will let her fly. Those ground scraping hops, if her wings will permit. And if her wings don't permit her to fly, she'll crawl away from the hive. And she will die alone away from the colony, the very colony in which she exhausted her life for. It's an act of selflessness. Because with that final act of selflessness, she will have saved her colony from having to expend the energy to remove her body once she dies. Think about that. And with that in mind, let me read something from Philippians 2. It says, Who being in very nature God, talking about Jesus, did not consider equality with God something to be used to his own advantage. Rather, he made himself nothing by taking the very nature of a servant, being made in human likeness, and being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to death, even death on a cross. See, it's the cross that reveals the heart of God. It's the, it's the cross that reveals the heart of God. And let me tell you this morning, whether you understand it or not, and whether you feel it or not, it's a heart that's filled with love. Not because Jesus died. Not because Jesus died. But because he died for others. Through this one selfless act. You know what Jesus was saying to you this morning? Let nothing keep you away. Because at the cross, Jesus provided what you need. That redo that recreation, that remaking, that repair that we all need. See, it was the night before Jesus was crucified that Jesus gathered people 
the disciples around a table and he broke the bread. And communion is really a reminder of that sacrifice. It's a reminder of the sacrifice that Jesus would make on the cross, that Jesus would give his life. The bread resembles his broken body. The juice is the blood shed for us. And what Jesus knew is that we were going to need a reminder. We need a reminder of that sacrifice. You need a reminder of my declaration that this is not about what you do, people. It's about what Jesus has done. Jesus knew we needed a reminder of his unfailing love. You need a reminder this morning of just how valuable you are to him. You need a reminder of your worth. And you need a reminder that no matter what you've done or will do, grace has covered it all. Hallelujah to the Lamb of God. Just a moment, we're going to take communion. And as you can see at the foot of these steps, to my right, to my left, and at the center, are the elements of communion. We don't serve you. We allow you to get up and to approach one of the tables. You'll find the juice. You'll find the bread. You can sit at your seat and meditate a moment, spiritually speaking. Pray, think about what you're about to do. And then once you're ready, you can make your way to one of these tables. You can take communion here, move to the side so other people can be uh, served. You can go back to your seat. You can kneel. You can pray. You can do it as a family, however you want to do. Don't rush. It's not a hurry. We just want you to understand the significance of this time. There are trash receptacles here at the front, and as you leave, you'll be able to dispose your cups there. And if you're concerned this morning about COVID, and I get that, I understand that, we have those uh, little chalices that have the bread on the bottom and the juice, and they're, they're safety sealed, and you can take that back to the, to the seat with you and then do it there, or you can do it here, whichever way you prefer. There is no hurry to get up and to take communion. And again, if you don't feel comfortable taking communion in this church, which I don't understand why you wouldn't, but we, we respect that. And we also believe that communion is meant for those people who have a relationship with Jesus Christ. So we would ask you, if you don't have a relationship with Jesus Christ, to, to just refrain from taking communion until you do have that relationship because that's what, it really, that's what it's really all about. That's what it means. That's when it's significant to us. The sacrifice that was made on our behalf. Would you bow your heads this morning and pray with me, please? God, we're so thankful for the sacrifice made on our behalf. So thankful for Jesus who loves us unconditionally, who knows that we need a reminder of our worth. We need a reminder that grace covers it all. So God, as we approach the table this morning, let us do it with our hearts and minds and our eyes focused on the significance of the sacrifice. That it's not about what we do, but it's about what was done for us. It's about a heart of love. And that love was, expect, it was expressed in the cross. May we not forget that. 
as we ask his prayer this morning in Jesus' name.